Romans chapter 4. We are starting a new series in the same book, okay, so that we've been in for the last several weeks, and uh, this new series is called Justified, and that is the running theme in Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5 is this theme of justification, uh, the idea of being declared righteous by God. That's where we left off with at the end of chapter 3 last week, and so that's where we pick up this week. Last week we saw that we are justified only, uh, declared righteous, made right with God only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll explore that more deeply over the next several weeks as we dive into chapter 4. Uh, it's a great chapter on the theme of faith. And then chapter 5 as we begin to get into what, what does that look like now that we, what does it mean to be justified by faith? What is the reality of that um, in our lives? And today we're going to be talking about this idea of trying versus trusting. Trying to justify ourselves before God, trying to save ourselves, trying to declare ourselves righteous before God with our works versus trusting Christ to make us righteous. Or you might call it works versus faith because we can't be justified or made right with God by both. It's, it's one or the other. Paul's going to deal with that today. And see, living life like we can somehow be declared righteous by our own works Trying to save ourselves, trying to justify ourselves. It's like, it's like somebody said once, getting all your ducks in a row and realizing you got the wrong ducks. Okay? It just can't be that. You, 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 can, you can be trying hard, right? But that doesn't mean you're on the right track. You don't get an A for effort, right, if your effort is wrongly placed. And so it's not really about just what you, what you try to do. You can, you can be on this path and it actually be the wrong path. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took my six-year-old son, Cannon, uh, to his first pro baseball game. We went down to the spring training there with the Braves, and, you know, I was a little nervous how, how this was going to go because, you know, he's six, and baseball is long and slow, and, and if you're not into it, it can be boring. And um, I love baseball, but, um, but I don't really, I don't tend to watch a lot on TV and things of that nature, so I was like, how, how's he going to take this? He actually did really well. He only complained about being bored a couple of times, but, so, but he wasn't really into the game. He hasn't played baseball yet other than in our, in our yard, you know, throwing the ball and hitting the ball. He hasn't had to run bases or anything like that. And he was mostly, by his own admission, looking forward to the Coca-Cola because uh, he doesn't get Coca-Cola very often. And I promised him a Coca-Cola at the game. And so he was heading into the game. I said, what are you most excited? What are you excited? He goes, I wonder what that Coca-Cola is going to taste like. <laughs> but we get there and we get through the game, right? And we stayed for the whole thing. And, uh, and at the end of the game, we let all the kids line up and run the bases, right? And I thought, man, I would have loved to have done that when I was six years old. Get up and run the bases. And, and you get to uh, run, run the same bases that the, you know, the pro players just ran. And so they all line up. And, and we, did, we found out about this a little bit late. So he's like right at the back of the line, one of the last two or three kids. And there's like, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 kids that stayed to do this. And so they let them out there and they go running the bases, right? And there they go, man. They're just Blazing a trail around the bases, not mostly not hitting the bases, but running the bases, running the path. And all the kids, you cross home plate, and there's a gate, and your parents are standing there, and you just cross home plate, and you run straight through the gate, right? But, but Cannon, he gets to home plate, and he immediately makes a left, right? And begins to run and head towards first base. And there's this poor lady. She tried to catch him, and after about three steps, she realized she didn't stand a chance, and she just gives up. And there he goes, all by himself, running the bases. Man, just as good as he can go. Didn't touch a single one, right? Even without the crowd, didn't touch... Two trips around the bases, missed them all. But he gets done, and he gets to home plate, and he's about to round it again. And they grab him, and they say, no, 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 you're done, you know. And they all got a kick out of that, and I think he even got like a game ball because of it, you know, because they just thought it was funny. And so uh, we're, we're walking to the car, and I said, ma'am, you, you, you ran the bases twice? He goes, yeah. 
He goes, I ran the bases longer than anybody. <laughs> and he was excited about that. And I said, well, that wasn't the point. Um, you know, the point's to hit the bases and to run them the fastest. But he, but he was trying, right? In his mind, he was used to running track at school, and it's about endurance. How many laps can you get in in the shortest amount of time? But he was trying, but he was missing the entire point that it wasn't really about how many times you could get around the bases. And some people live life thinking they've got it all figured out, thinking they're trying hard to be good enough and to do enough, but at the end of the day, they're going to find out they've literally missed the point. That wasn't the point at all, and the point is not being good enough. The point is not to be, the point of obeying God, for instance, is not so that you can go to heaven or, or earn his love. And we obey God as believers in Christ because we're loved. Because we belong to God. We, we do good works not to make us right with God. They, we do them because we love God, and they are the evidence of the fact that we have been made right with God. They're not the means by which we get there. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul shows us that justification, being declared righteous, being made right with God, is by faith, and that that's not a new thing. He wants these people to know this isn't something that I've come up with. This isn't a New Testament thing. And sometimes people get that in their mind. I'll hear people, you know, I've heard people say before things like, well, in the Old Testament, people were made right with God by works. You were saved by works. In the New Testament, you were saved by faith. And that's hogwash is what we call that now. That's not at all true, okay? It was, and that's the whole point of Romans 4. The big idea is, especially in the first half that we're looking at today, is it's always been this way. And there were Jewish people, even in Paul's day, that were confused by this and thought that it was, that it was a works-based thing, or somehow your faith and works work together. And we hear that in our day, too, in certain groups, that your faith and works works together to justify you before God. And Paul says, no, it's always been about faith. And so we need to explore that this morning. And he's going to give us the examples of Abraham and David and how they were both justified by faith and not works. And he shows us that, that there's a problem. He tells us some problems with this idea of trying to save myself by good works versus simply... The blessing that is what it means to, to trust God to save me in Christ Jesus. So look with me at Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 12 this morning. Romans 4, 1 through 12. It's on the screen for you as well. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And here quotes from Psalms, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, why is he bringing up Abraham? Of all the people he could have picked in the Old Testament, 
Why does he pick Abraham? Because, well, Abraham was considered the father of the nation, right? In that sense, he's like the, the first Jewish person in that sense, right? He, he is the one, the, the one man that God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, right? And he picked that one guy, Abram, as he was known at that time. And many of the Jews in Paul's day used Abraham as an example of being justified by works. And Paul is saying that you don't really understand the story of Abraham. He's getting right at the root of the issue, and he's going to the beginning. So let's look at the, the call of Abraham back in Genesis 12. It's on the screen for you, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now at this time... Abram's just a pagan. Okay, he's just this man that God, this is a picture of, of, of sovereign grace. God just saying, I'm going to save you, right? I'm, I'm going to love you and I'm going to make you mine. Abraham's not doing good things, right? We don't know much of anything really about Abraham up to this point. But God chooses him and he says, from this one will come many. All families on the earth will be blessed by him. And it is from him that we get Isaac. And then Isaac gives us Jacob who would become, change his name to Israel, who would have 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons would be a man by the name of Judah. And from his tribe, we'll get a man by the name of David. And ultimately, many years later, we'll get the true king, the Messiah, Jesus. But started with Abraham. And by bringing up Abraham, Paul is reaching all the way back in the history of Israel to show that the idea of faith and not works, trusting not trying is being the only way to be justified. It's always been how God operates. And in his examples, we see the problem of trying to save yourself versus the blessing of trusting God to save you. So look, number one, the problem with trying. Problem with justification by works. And the very first thing he points out is it creates this issue of boasting. Abraham's justified by works. He's got a reason to boast. Maybe before men, but not before God. But that's not at all, he's saying, is the point how he was justified. If See, if salvation is works-based, and we talked about this about last week, this idea of creating boasting before God. If it's about what you do, not what's been done, then the one who works can boast, right? You've got something to kind of puff your chest out about. I'm good enough. And Paul's just told us in verse 27 of chapter 3 that boasting is excluded in the presence of God by the law of faith, the principle of faith. Now, if Abraham was justified by works, as many of them thought, and he has this reason to boast. He says, you can't boast before God. No one can boast before God. Now think about how silly that would be. Listen, one of the most foolish things about works-based salvation is that it creates a situation where human beings can puff their chest out and kind of spot the football when they get to heaven and get high fives because of all that they've done. I made it. God, you have no choice to accept me because I met the standard. I'm good enough. So thank you very much. I'll have my heaven now. Right? It creates that. If works has anything to do with it, then you get to boast. And it sounds crazy. And Paul wants them to say, it's crazy to think that anybody could boast in the presence of a holy God. In Genesis 22, Abraham had been willing to sacrifice his son Isaac at God's request. Remember the story? Take Isaac, lay him down on the altar. Now God's going to preempt that and not let that happen. But his point was to see, would you obey? What really has your heart, me or Isaac? And it was a test. And God forbid him from harming Isaac, but God actually, what ends up happening is God provides a lamb to be sacrificed instead of Isaac and many around. 
And many Jews looked at that Genesis 22 story, and the thought of that day by many of them was, look at his works. Look at what he did. Look how he obeyed God. That's why he's right with God. That's why he's justified in God's eyes. Can you imagine Abraham? If he would have been standing, if that was true, standing before God and saying, hey, God, remember that time you asked me to do that thing to Isaac, and I was willing to do it. I mean, I even went and got a knife and took him up on a mountain and, 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 and so on, and I made myself righteous that day. Remember, I mean, I, mean, I, I, mean, I was willing to do that. I can imagine God saying, who told you to do that? Who told you to stop? Who provided the lamb to sacrifice instead of Isaac. And by the way, who provided Isaac the son? And by the way, who were you before I called you? Right? There's no boasting before God. There's no spiking the ball in his presence. Paul makes it clear. He was justified, he goes on to say, by believing. We're going to, talk, we're going to break that verse down in just a moment. So the second thing, the second problem with boasting, excuse me, with, um, with trying, this idea of just trying to save yourself by justification by works, First problem was creates boasting. The second problem is it creates wages, and that eliminates the gift of grace. He says that in verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So, in other words, if you work for it, you are owed something. Can you imagine God owing someone? The one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, he's going to owe you something. It means God's in debt to you. He's like a slave to you. Or a hired hand to you. That doesn't sound like God to me. God owes no one anything. And this is the insanity of a works-based salvation. It says God owes me something. It's a wage. It's worked for. It's earned. And that means it cannot be a gift. You know, my first job in Alabama, I don't know if I've said this before, but it wasn't a real job. It was just one of those jobs you get at like age 13 where I would go on this weekend certain times of the year, I think about this time of year, and I would sit in this little concrete house at a, at a hunting club, and I would load clay pigeons. Uh, you know what that is? Okay, that's probably the most Alabama thing I've ever said. But I'd load these clay pigeons on this little thing, and, and, and somebody else would be back up on top of the hill, and they would, some, the guy with the shotgun would say, pull. The guy would hit the button, and they'd sling the pigeons out, and they'd shoot, shoot them. You know what I'm talking about? Target practice. And so, and I would either be down in the little concrete shed there loading them, or I'd be the guy out there hitting the button. And I hated being the guy hitting the button. Very, these guys get very ticked, right, if you don't hit the button exactly when they say to hit the button. But I, I remember that, that was the first time that I remember being paid to do work. And at the end of the day, you know, you'd go and they would pay you right there, right there. Right? Here's, your, here's your money for coming out here and working for three hours, whatever it was. And not one time did they put a bow on it. They didn't wrap it and say, hey. I got you something. It's a surprise. Here's your $20. Here's your $30. They never did that. And it was more like this. Where's my money? Right? Because I wasn't looking for a gift. I, had, I, had, I sat down in that little hot concrete box to, to make, it, make that money. Listen, when you go to work during the week, nobody's looking at you going, hey, 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 surprise, 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 surprise. It's payday. Here's, here's your present. Right? You would be like, what? In the way? This is not a gift. I, I did something to get this. I provided, I worked, and then you paid me. If it's, if it's earned, if it's a wage, it cannot be a gift. You, it, you can't have it both ways. But see, God's grace is a gift. God's grace is the only way we can be saved. And if you taint it, Paul says, with works, you're not, it's not a gift anymore. It's a wage. And God owes you something. Wages are earned and they're negotiated and they can be raised. And by the way, they can be lowered, but that's not how justification works. It's given on God's terms freely by grace through faith. Now, if we're under the impression that God owes us something, 
If we think we can barter with God, and make a deal with God, that reveals that we've not truly understood grace. The, the converted heart doesn't barter, it doesn't negotiate, it trusts. There's a massive difference. See, there's nothing we can do that puts God in debt to us. We have to be careful thinking that. Giving money to the church doesn't mean God will or has to grow your income. It's not how it works. Living a moral life doesn't mean bad things will not happen to you. It's not how it works. Praying a lot doesn't guarantee that you'll get the answers that you seek. It's not how it works. And good works do not mean you go to heaven when you die. God, God operates on grace, not on a, a works-based system. And these all represent ways that we can think, if I do this, God owes me this. And that's not how God operates. God operates on a system of grace. And he works through faith. And he can't be manipulated. His arm can't be twisted. You can't wear God down and you can't buy him. And all of this creates wages that God must pay and eliminates receiving his grace as a gift. It's a system that God doesn't honor. So beware trying to get right with God in your power, with your works, with your behavior, and your effort. It's, it's not about trying to be justified by what you do. Listen, even as a believer, as one who has trusted Christ, Satan... Your enemy would love nothing more than to see you barter with the God who gives freely. Satan would love nothing more than to see a believer approach God like a customer or a consumer or a negotiator instead of like a child. Even those of us in Christ need to examine ourselves to make sure we haven't functionally wandered astray from the principles of our faith. Every spiritual enemy you have would love to see you stop trusting and start trying to justify yourself before God. That's why we've got the book of Galatians. <laughs> so that we'll be reminded not to do that. So that's, that's the problem with trying to justify ourselves. It creates boasting and, and ultimately it eliminates grace because it creates wages and, and it's not the system that God operates on. It's not how God saves. So what, what about trusting? Number two, the blessing of trusting God. In verse five, he says, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, the blessing of salvation, of justification, comes through believing and trusting, ultimately, Christ. Now, what is this faith about? What's the role and place of works in this? Where do works come in? How does this work together? What's he getting at here? Now, Paul is saying it's not the one who works in such a way that he is depending on his works to justify him. that gets justification. But it's the one who believes in the justifier. Okay? You can't be justified, in other words, if you are trying to do it in your power with your own works, your own way. That does not mean good works are bad or shouldn't be pursued. It's all about motive. The believer in Jesus does good works from faith, not in place of faith. We do good works because we're justified, not because we're trying to be justified. So go back to Abraham. Abraham, he says, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's from Genesis chapter 15. He's quoting there. God makes a promise to Abraham to make him the father of many nations that we read in chapter 12. And years later, Abraham still has no children. That's what we pick up in chapter 15. So when the word of the Lord comes to Abraham... To encourage him, this time Abraham talks back a little bit. He says, but I have no kids. It's great you've made me this promise. 
It's great that you're here speaking to me and encouraging me, but I still have no kids. In other words, how can I father the many? How can I father a nation if I can't father one? And then God says this to Abram, Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. He brought him outside. Apparently they were inside. He says, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring. In verse 6, the verse Paul is quoting in Romans, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. See, God showed Abraham the heavens and once again made him a promise that Abraham simply took God at his word. And Paul says this story shows us that God has always justified people before him by faith, not by works. He believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Long before we even get to Genesis. He don't even have a son yet. Long before we get to Genesis 2 when he's offering Isaac on the altar. So what are these blessings of trusting God for justification? Well, the first one that he points out here is you gain righteousness. The Greek word translated counted there. Counted. He counted as righteousness. It's an accounting term. And it means to have it reckoned to your account. We talked about that last week, right? This idea that, that God credits you with the righteousness that is Christ. Christ's righteousness. You get a new standing before God, a new account, a new ledger, and you're righteous in his eyes. Now, interestingly, James, the half-brother of Jesus, also quotes Genesis 15, and it seems a little different. This confuses people sometimes, so let me read it to you. James chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. This is also in the New Testament. James, half-brother of Jesus, says this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called friend of God. Wait a second. Did you guys not consult? <laughs> Paul, are you and James out preaching different stuff? I mean, this is going to hurt you in the long run, because he's like the half-brother of Jesus, so this is going to be really confusing for people. Here's what's happening. James and Paul are addressing different ends of a spectrum. Paul is making sure people know this. Your works cannot save you. It's through faith, not works, that God justifies. Now, James is addressing a different problem. He wants a different group of people that he's writing to know this. If your faith never produces good works, if your faith never produces a changed life, if your faith never changes your heart and your life and your behavior and produces good works, if there's no fruit that comes from your faith, then you don't really have faith. In fact, he asked the question, can that faith save you? In the sense of, there's a couple of different kinds of faith. There's a faith that produces good works and a faith that does not. And the faith, by the way, the faith that does not produce good work will not save. That, that's, a, that's the kind of faith a demon has. He says demons believe and shudder, right? The devil believes God exists. The devil believes God, Jesus died on the cross. The devil believes Jesus rose from the dead. Demons believe this stuff, he says, and shudder. But he said, no, it's a genuine faith that rests in Christ. And that then your life is changed because God gives you a new heart and you begin to love and to obey God. See, Abraham's willingness, he calls it the fulfillment. Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteous. He's talking about this was, the scripture was fulfilled that this had happened. Abraham's willingness to lay his son on the altar in Genesis 22 proved that he really had believed God. Back in Genesis 15. His faith was put on display in chapter 22. But he had been counted as righteous by God before that ever happened. 
That simply put his faith on display for all to see, for Isaac to see, for his wife to see, for his family. Anybody could see this man really believes God. And there are moments in our lives where our faith gets put on display or our lack of faith gets put on display. It's not those moments that justify us before God. We're justified the moment we have genuine faith. But at some point, the test comes that proves whether or not our faith is genuine. Now, many in Paul's day considered faith a type of work. And so that faith plus works justified. Douglas Moo writes that Paul's thinking was this. It flew in the face of the dominant Jewish theology of the day, which joined faith and works, resulting in a kind of synergism with respect to salvation. In other words, it's faith and works. But Paul says, no, 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 no. He was declared righteous before all that. He was de- Abraham was declared righteous because he looked forward. God made him a promise and he believed it would happen. He took God at his word. People in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's promise. Now you and I, we're saved because we look back. Right? Abraham looked forward to a Messiah and a cross and a resurrection and the coming of Jesus. We look back on the fact that he came and believe that he came. We're all taking God at his word. We're all looking at Jesus. And some people were looking forward to Jesus coming. We're on the other side. We're looking back believing he came. But we're all looking to Jesus and we're all doing it by faith. And that's how God justifies sinners. We're just on different places on a timeline. But we're all counted righteous through faith. Good works are the evidence that our eyes are on Jesus. They're the evidence of our salvation. They're not the means to it. And if we make them the means to it, we show that we don't really have faith, true faith in Christ. See, ultimately, we're able to be counted righteous because of Jesus, the righteous one. Jesus came, as we said last week, and lived a sinless life that we couldn't live, bore our sin and the punishment we deserve on the cross, and rose from the dead so that we can look on Christ in faith and God gives us Jesus' righteousness. Jesus takes our sin, we get his righteousness. Because only Jesus is righteous enough. Only Jesus is sinless. Only Jesus has it all together. And God credits Jesus' righteousness to us by faith when we believe. Not when we start doing good works. But not only that, you don't only gain righteousness when you trust, you also lose your sin. He says in verse 6, just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. See, David and Abraham, as one scholar pointed out, are very different characters in the Bible. Abraham was by no means perfect, but his life was not marred by things like adultery and murder. David, on the other hand, while being a man after God's own heart, is infamous for his adultery with Bathsheba and conspiring to murder her husband to cover up his adultery. But God justifies sinners by grace through faith. And he justifies all kinds of sinners. And it doesn't matter the background or the sin or the situation or what you've done, whether it be good or bad. We all need to be justified by faith in Christ. And Paul here quotes from Psalm 32. He's saying that in this psalm, David speaks of the blessing of being counted righteous apart from his works. Scholars note that it's likely that he chose this psalm to go with Genesis 15 in chapter 4 because of the wordplay. They both talk about counting. They both have the same root word in, in, in the Greek, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew. And Abraham was counted righteous, and David's saying, and my sins were not counted against me. They're both this idea of this accounting transaction. And David says, happy or blessed is the one who is forgiven, covered 
not having his sin counted against him. That person is truly happy. Now, but what does that have to do with being by faith is the question. Because, right, you don't see it there. It's just like, okay, his sin's covered. Maybe his sin's are covered because he was good enough. Maybe his sin's are covered because he did a lot of good things. Well, you have to read the rest of the psalm. He's quoting the psalm because he wants you to go read the psalm. In Psalm 32.10, David says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. See, David has experienced the burden of guilt. He finds forgiveness when he confesses his sin to God. The one who experiences the steadfast love of the Lord, he says, is the one who, who trusts in, who rests in, who places his faith in the Lord. David didn't do good things to cover up his bad things. We kind of tend to think that way, right? Do good things to cover up the bad things. But, but no, no, no. God covered up his bad things. God covered his sin. See, there's an old saying. What you cover, God will uncover. And what you uncover, God will cover. By faith, we need to be a people who confess and who deal with our sin. That's what David's calling us to here. Paul's calling us to. And this sounds simple. But see, a lot of people would rather try and cover their sin than experience forgiveness. See, when, you, when we tr refuse to truly confess and agree with God about it and forsake it, you'll find yourself trying to hide it and to cover it. And you may cover it from others, but we know we can't cover it from ourselves. We still know about it, unless we're so deceived, and God knows about it. Or you may try and cover it by making up for it, trying to tilt the scales, right? I've got all these bad things in this scale. If I can put enough good things in this scale, it all evens out in the end to make up for the bad. But David says, no, 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 no. Happiness, blessing, it's the same word here, eternal happiness, eternal joy is not found in us covering our sin, trying to make up for all the bad we've done. It's found in God covering it with his grace. But you have to take it to him. You have to repent. You have to believe. Listen to what David said in Psalm 32, 3 and 4. This is the next two verses that, that Paul doesn't quote. David says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's just talking about the guilt he felt at what his sin was doing to him because why? God's hand was heavy upon him to bring about confession and repentance so he would lose his sin so that he would trust the Lord to take his sin away. Now, I've been listening to a biography on Jimmy Buffett. I don't know who Jimmy Buffett is, right? So in Florida, we got to know who Jimmy Buffett is. And... He's one of the wealthiest and most business-savvy celebrities in the world. He's like number 13 on the wealthiest celebrities in the world. But in his younger days, in particular, he had quite the party beach boy persona. And he wrote in one of his songs, okay, uh, he, this line. One of the more famous songs, Grapefruit, Juicy Fruit, for those of you that know Buffett. But here's the, here's, here's, here's the song lyric, okay, that caught my attention. Commit a little mortal sin. I'm not going to sing it for you. Commit a little mortal sin. It's good for the soul. King David would disagree. David says, God's hand's heavy upon me. My, my, I'm, I'm groaning and I'm wasting away this mortal sin. It's not been good for my soul. I feel like it's killing my soul. Uh, guilt is crushing my soul. And David's point is, God's hand is heavy upon me. When God moves on your heart, you realize what sin is, what you've really done, what your plight is. And it can make you, literally, it's like a groaning. It can make you feel as though your bones are wasting away. Because why? You begin to mourn your sin. You can't celebrate your sin and repent of your sin. And so you begin to mourn your sin. And if you want to lose your sin, God has to get you to a place where you hate your sin. People that love sin are not going to repent of their sin. So God has to change our heart so that we'll want to turn from our sin and we'll want to turn to Christ continually. 
And David says it's through confessing that sin and resting in God's forgiveness and in faith, turning to God with it, that his sin and guilt was removed. He says happiness, blessing was found. Not in committing sin, Mr. Buffett. Not in covering your sin, politicians. But in confessing your sin and turning to Christ in faith and God covering your sin. He says it's, it's, that's what's good for the soul, David said. John Popper said this of this text. He says, quote, God wants you to see that his work and his word are aiming at your happiness. The gospel is good news. He's not aiming at your ease or your comfort or your prosperity in this world. He is aiming at your present and everlasting joy. See, sin will in the end make you miserable. Either you will be miserable now and repent or be miserable in eternity and judge for your sin. But if you want to be truly happy, eternally happy, you need Jesus' righteousness given to you and your sin take away, taken away. And that only happens by faith. Being made right with God happens by trusting Him instead of trying to justify yourself. And it should lead to joy. It should lead to happiness. We should be the most joyful people on earth. I'm not saying we don't have sad times. That's not my point. But we should have a joy that's beyond the circumstances. Beyond the circumstances. Doesn't mean we don't cry. Doesn't mean we don't get sad. That's foolishness. Read the Psalms. The same David who says blessed and happy, the one who sins covered, pours his heart out in anguish at times and it hurts. But, but there's a foundation there, a joy that's deeper than the circumstances. Listen, some people are miserable living the Christian life. They're miserable, miserable obeying God. It's drudgery to them. And if you're miserable serving God, if you're miserable trying to live the Christian life, it could be that that's the problem, that you are trying to live the Christian life. And ultimately, you are trying to justify yourself by works. It's exhausting. Real Christianity is freeing and joy-producing. As we realize, it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. Well, next, Paul turns in verses 9 through 12 and illustrates with circumcision. In this blessing of justification by faith, he says, it, it's, it's, is, it, is it only for the circumcised, he asks? In other words, is it only for Jews or also the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, everybody else in the world at that time? Paul makes the point that it's, it's for all by faith, pointing to, to when it was credited to him as righteousness. It's not after, but before he was circumcised. In other words, Abraham didn't have this credited to him as righteousness after he was circumcised. It was like 29 years later or something like that that circumcision came into the picture. And, and God had him be circumcised and begin to circumcise his, his sons, and that entered the Jewish uh, log of history, right? And they, that, that began to happen. It was like 29 years after Genesis 15, approximately, when God had already justified him by faith, he says. See, and this is a big illustration here because this is a big deal in the Jewish community. God gave circumcision to the Jewish people as a sign, a reminder, a seal of their covenant with God. It didn't make them God's people, though. It was a marker, a sign that they were, in fact, God's people. And Abraham was not circumcised until many years later, like I said. And he had the righteousness beforehand. In verse 11, he says, The purpose, the reason God gave him the righteousness beforehand was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Here's his point. This is on purpose. God, God, God is work all the way back in the Old Testament, even in how God brings circumcision into the picture to mark his people. All this has a design to it because Abraham was to be fa spiritual father in a sense of not just the Jews, but of all those who would believe God. 
so that you and I can look back, and that's our faith story back there too. And that God's not just thinking about the Jewish people in Genesis 12. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about me. He's thinking about people that would place their faith in his son who wouldn't be Jewish in their heritage. And he could be the justifier of all those who look in faith on Christ. See, when you come to God by faith in Christ and are justified, you not only lose your sin, you not only gain Christ's righteousness, and there's a third big benefit, big blessing. You gain a new community, a new family, a, a whole new Family reality, and he, that's the picture he's painting here. Both Jew and Gentile reconciled to God, both in one family called the church. We can trace our faith back to Abraham. The promises of God are for us too now. We were those without promises. Now we have the promises of God, and God had that in mind all along. Listen, Gentiles are not an afterthought. The church is not an afterthought. Your salvation is not an afterthought. God planned from eternity past to bring you into his family. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And we are made into one big new family. And all those who don't have faith in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, stand outside the family of God. Outside the family of God. Think about this, believer. There was a time in my life and in your life when we didn't think much about God. But God all the way back to Abraham, and really before, from the turn of the past, really. But, but even the way he dealt with Abraham, he did so intentionally so that righteousness would be counted to us as well when we believe. Our being a part of God's family is no accident. It's, the, it's a long time coming. Being justified by faith, trusting, is way better we're trying to justify ourselves by works. Work-centered salvation does not work. It creates boasting, which cannot happen before God. It creates wages, eliminating the gift of grace. But when we come to God by faith in Christ, he removes our sin, considers us righteous because of Jesus, and makes us a part of his family, grafting us in to the very faith we share with Abraham. So believer, we came to him by faith. We continue in him by faith. And we need not make the mistake of thinking that we will be kept by our works or thinking that somehow it's different now. We, listen, you grow spiritually by faith. We pursue Christ by faith. We do good works and good deeds by faith. All of the Christian life is lived by faith. Don't get distracted from that. And the second thing I want to ask is this. The first thing I want to ask, I want to close with this, is have you been justified by are you trying to be justified or are you trusting that God has made you righteous in Christ Jesus? Have you received that great gospel exchange when Jesus who died in your place, he takes your sin, he died for your sin and you get his righteousness and you place your faith and trust in 